Bible to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Boy, I like that scripture that Miss Melissa brought. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to, matter of fact, I'm going to skate across that a little bit. I'm going to, I'm going to quote that again. That was goodly. It's not like I just found my Bible and I didn't know that was scripture was in there, but it, you know, when stuff fits, of course it all fits. John chapter 17, verse 4. Oh, uh, let's just run around this morning in the Word. That's what you do at home, isn't it? I hope you're reading through the Bible in some form. I don't mean the whole Bible. I, you know how I feel about that. I think if you... If the Lord sends you somewhere in the Old Testament, amen. But we don't get enough New Testament in us. And we ought, to, we ought to bear down on that. That's where the life is. That's where the life is. That's where the life is. All scripture is equally blessed. It's, it's, it's all got the same breath of God in it. But not all of it's as anointed for your life. So that's where we've got to find it. We've got to find out where he's leading us. So it says in chapter 17 of John, verse 4, it says, I have glorified thee on the earth, the Lord Jesus is praying, isn't he? He's talking to the Father. He said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. He finished the work. Say it with me. He finished the work. Let's do that again. He finished the work. How much is left to be done? He finished the work. The Amplified, I wrote that down. It says, uh, I have glorified thee on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. He completed it. The Lord finished the work. I'm not waiting on him to do anything. And then she read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten, hath, hath begotten uh, to us his abundant mercy, excuse me, has begotten us again. Oh, I got the wrong verse. Where is that? Uh, let's see, what'd you write? Second Peter, gosh, second Peter's, that helps. Verse four, excuse me, here we are. Correct, readjust. Whereby are given unto me exceeding great and precious promises that by these I might be a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He finished the work. He finished the work. It's a half. So if you're having trouble, you just don't know enough or you're too lazy to do what you know. Can we say that in church? He finished the work. He completed the work. Well, the Lord's not finished with me. Sure he is. You're not finished with you, but he's finished with you. He finished the work. He finished the work. Well, we're not in the Old Testament where it was an unfinished work. We're in the new where he finished the work. I may read that again. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. So that you can tell the Heavenly Father is just telling his children through the New Testament. He's saying, you can do it. You know, when your toddler just strikes out and you think he's going to walk or she's going to take a few steps. You can do it. You can tell that mama's up right there holding her hands out. You can do it, baby. You can do it. You can do it. And then when you put him up on top of the refrigerator later and say, jump to daddy, you can do it. You know, if we were that fearless now, you can do it. So what we're doing at River Church, what you're doing, listening to Curry Blank, Blake and Brother Hagen and Lester Summerall and whoever the Lord's got you dialed into, tuned into right now. You need, you need to know the Father saying you can do it. He's endeavoring to persuade us. 
It's not facts and figures. It's not, did you hear that? And did you know that? And whatever. Did you know there was this many? And did you know it was this long? That could be important. But what he's really wanting us to do is be persuaded. I have finished the work. I did it. And so, therefore, it's done. So what has to happen for you and I to be healed? It's a finished work. So when I believe it's a finished work, then it becomes the finished work. What about how close have you been to being out of money? We all have a story. I, you know, I got the story of buying the Skaggs Albertsons green beans. Blech. I wanted the Del Monte's, but there wasn't enough to do Del Monte's and do. So we just did it. And so you've done things. You've had things happen. And he got you through. Didn't he get us through? He got us through. And I tell you, those testimonies are precious. That makes me think about a lesson I learned this week about... Uh, how they have discovered or analyzed or come up with that this generation that we just raised, how hamstrung we have made them because we kept them out of crisis. We averted every possibility of them having to run out of something or not have enough or even maybe being in a place where they had to deal with fear of his mama coming or Will daddy do it? We fixed it. We could and we did. We did what our parents didn't do. Either they didn't think it needed to be done. That would certainly be my case. Or they didn't have a clue that you wanted it done. I mean, all I had to do is be home by dark. Before the streetlights came on, the streetlights came on, you better be within distance. But nobody does that now. We used to, girls used to ride their bicycles to the pool in Seagraves, Texas. Wow. Or walk. But we, we took that out of our kids, and so they're, they're not acclimated to having to think for themselves or f to have to face a crisis where they had to dig deep. And I'll tell you, you're blessed, family. You're blessed because you've been having to dig deep. We shouldn't fix everything. We should let, in the world ye shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It is so powerful to have that experience, that testimony of he overcame the world for me. It was, it was yeah, buddy, tough. It was on the edge. I didn't, or maybe you said I didn't make it. I went over the edge, and, and it, it happened, and I, we went through all of old Billy trying to get back. But he was faithful, and he got me back. Don't tell your story about the past and compare it to what we've done in the present, because it's not necessarily better now than it was then. You got all these brothers that you're growing up with, or sisters, or whatever, and you want to tell that story like, well, that was hard. I, my father had no sisters. I had no sisters and I had no daughters. So girls were a rare event in my life. I had two cousins. Out of all my kinfolks, I had two girl cousins. It's like, what's that? You know, I mean, that's weird. Because we were all roughhousing and wrestling and playing baseball. So we've all got a different experience you ought to be glad for the, what the Lord's delivered us through. And if it's not matured in you, if it's not completed in you, if it's not ripe yet in you, he's going to let you go to the edge. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't let you go to the edge. It just goes to the edge. Life does. And he, he saves us. And having him save us is more important than never having to been saved. Parents didn't do us any favor. You may not have done your children any favor by taking all the obstacles out of the way and making sure they never had a problem, 
never had a hand-me-down piece of clothing, always had money for the lunch and the dessert and for the candy machine or whatever. It's not necessarily good. I'm not analyzing that. I'm just saying we're blessed because we came through. And I've come through. Have you? We've come through. Turn with me to Genesis, if you would, chapter 37. Be easily persuaded to believe. Genesis chapter 37. We'll just see where it goes this morning. I'd be okay with you. I know y'all. We like an adventure here at River Church. We like an adventure. Well, we've been on some. We're in one right now. I don't know if y'all know it, but we're in an adventure. We're, we're in a spot that if, if, and I quotation marks around the word if, if he doesn't come through, it isn't going to happen. There is no natural way for this thing to play out. Y'all hear me? I don't know if y'all ever think about that. Maybe y'all just look up and say, ah, they're not hollering. It must be okay. It is okay. But just because we're not hollering doesn't mean that we're not believing God. I'm believing God. I've prayed for you. You're believing God. Don't think you're the only one or don't think I don't because I've got a happy face. I do have a happy face because it's a finished work. He completed the work. And so there's nothing left for him to do. And if he's through, then I can get through. Genesis chapter 37. You know this chapter, but let's look in verse five. Joseph dreamed a dream. So he was one of 12 sons of of, uh, Jacob. Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it to his brethren. Well, he was the next to the youngest. Only Benjamin was younger than Joseph. So he had a lot of brothers to tell this to. Only one sister. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I've dreamed. And behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. That's, a, that's an old English word that means you bowed down. You worshiped. And his brethren said to him, yeah, right. Shalt thou indeed reign over us? They, they figured out the end of the story. And shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told his brethren. Yeah, because that worked out so well. And said, behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him. And said unto him, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee in the earth? And his brother envied him, but his father observed the same. There's a lot there to do it. But let's just say this. This is the point. God put big in Joseph before Joseph was big. Did you hear that? God put big in Joseph before Joseph was big. And you know all the trouble he went through. He went through lots of trouble and the Lord delivered him out of it all. And so when he got to the end of it, when the king, the Pharaoh, the the uh, the emperor called him up and said, "I, I hear this about you. He was ready to go. And I'm telling you, family, he's getting us ready to go. And he's putting big in you before you need big. And if you don't like the process, you're going to bail. You're going to cry. You're going to whine. You're going to carry on. Why is this happening to me? Well, it could be you're just stupid. You're on the wrong track. It's not got anything to do with God. He's got a plan and you won't listen. You won't pay attention. You think it's all about you. You think, well, how come this is not working out for me and it is for everybody else? And so you're dumb as a stump in in the things of God. Just a child, just a baby, just a little one that can't figure it out. 
wants my way and going to throw a fit if you don't get one. Get what you want. But that's not us. That's not you because you're still here. I, the Lord's doing this. I'm not doing anything. So he's putting big in you. So let's submit to it. Let's let him put big in us. In case down the road he needs somebody that's big inside. Oh, that's a whole different approach. Who knew God was in this? He's in it for everybody. He's not picked you out. It's not a sacred body that's here that's been called out. We're special. We're, Gideon had 32,000 boys that were, that were ready to go, raring. And he had to whittle them down to 300 that had big in them. And the rest of them went to the house and they never knew what happened. They never knew. I could have been big. I could have been down the hill with the lantern. They never knew. They just went to the house. Yeah, we went over there. We messed around over there and they turned us loose. So we went home. You got to know your season. You got to know where you're at. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. It's on page 275 if you have a Bible like me, mine. 275. Have you ever opened... I made this statement many years ago, but, and so you may remember, but I, have you ever opened the hood on a Corvette? Chewie. There's a six liter in there. At least a 454. Way back. And they've got some six and seven and 800 horsepower big boys now that they roll out. But you don't have to open the hood. If you're looking at a vet, for its day, it was the biggest and baddest and honky-tonkiest things there was. But there's never been anybody that opened the hood on a Prius that said, wow, we could win with this. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? So you know what's inside. You know if it's big or not by the outside. But for sure, you can open the hood on either of them. But they don't make four-cylinder options for Corvettes. They don't have an Eco 6 for the vet. Nobody wants an Eco 6. You can get 28 miles a gallon with this thing. Well, I don't want it. I want something that blows through six miles in a gallon. Yeah. Isn't that right? And Prius, if they say, this thing gets 14, you go, we'll pass. Because you don't want that. You're a Prius buyer. You're, you're, you're little. You don't want to offend anybody online, but uh, you, need, you need something with a pedal instead of a little dial that feeds the squirrels. You open the dial here, and it runs some seeds and nuts down into the squirrels, and they say, oh, let's go. <laughs> Amen. So the vest's got something under the hood and it's synonymous with being big and fast and powerful and dominating. Just, just honk the horn on the Prius. Some lady honked at me the other day. I had a better bell on my tricycle than that thing. So you knew it didn't have anything because they, they matched the horn to what's under the hood. Told her to get out of my way. <laughs> Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 17. It says in 1 chapter 17, uh, this is such a great story. It's, we, we could just camp here for a day or six. Verse 23, and he talked with them. So he's talking about David coming up to his brethren, his brothers. And there was a herd of them. And he was the boy on the outside. He was Aaron boy. He was the little one. He came up and talked with them. Behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, when they saw the Corvette, 
fled from him and were sore afraid. Why? Because they were all driving Priuses. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Have Surely to defy Israel is he come up and it shall be that the man who killeth him. This is an aside. This is a, a matter of humor for them. Like somebody would take him up on that. The man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Apparently that was a big deal. It might not move your clock, but it, it moved everybody's back then. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? So hadn't they just told him? You have verse 25. They just told him and he said, say that again. What's up? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So if you know the story of David... Well, well, let's just look at it. It's in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. What's he got under the hood? He looks like a Prius. He looks like a Corolla. Really? But he talks to Saul and he's got vet words. He's got. I got a six liter under the hood, 390 horse, four barrel. It's got a gas line this big. And Saul said to David, thou art a Prius and are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight for him. For thou art but a Prius, a youth, and he is a man. He is a double vet of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, whoa, boss, whoa, thy servant. He said, we've, been, we've, had, we've had me in the shop. And what you see is not what's under the hood. I've been modified. He said, thy servant kept his father's sheep. There came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him. Why? For a lamb. Here's the, he's his father's son. He's precious. He's valuable. He's, he's, but he went after it for a lamb. I went after him and smote him, delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, I give up. You've told the story. I see what's under the hood. Go and the Lord be with thee. Now, so we all look the same on the outside. When we, get, when we get something put in us, we don't dress up in this gaudy stuff like they do at the Georgia football games where they got these, these fake breastplates that got spikes out of the shoulders. And, you know, and, you know if you're not tough, you got to look tough. Did I say that about Georgia? I could, it could be a bunch of them. But you know, I noticed Alabama, this one thing I like, they're not gaudy. They don't have little egg, eggs on their helmet. And they don't have, they just come in plain. And we're going to bring it with us, in us. I, I always have liked Alabama. They got the plainest uniforms. They never win the beauty contest for uniforms. I saw a little feed one time. They had 34 teams and it showed all their amazing uniforms. And the only reason you even heard of them is because they had an amazing uniform. They won the beauty contest. Alabama was never in that. But anyway, that's my bias here. Hallelujah. Uh, God put big in David before David needed big. This is real important. We could go to the house right now and say that was good. Because what he did is what he's doing. God could have taken care of the bear and the lion. He could have moved him off the mountain and everything would be okay. Everything would turn out amazing and they would say well, they lived happily ever after. But that's not how it went down. And David could have said, whoo, just one lamb. And he was a little ugly and he was a little hard to, to herd anyway. So that's, that's not even a bad thing. 
but he went after it because that was his responsibility. So River Church, I'm asking you online, what is your responsibility? What's your assignment? What has God called you to do that makes you say, I will go rescue the lamb out of the mouth of the bear and the mouth of the lion? Because God wants to put big in you. And you can't get big just staying at the house, eating cheese sticks and drinking the lemonade. You can't get big in without putting this in. You can't get big never, never stepping out, on the, out of the boat into the, in, onto the water. That's how Peter got big. Well, that day, it doesn't matter that he, what happened after that. It doesn't matter. The event happened. He stepped on the water and the water held him up. After that, it doesn't matter because it happened. And what happened to you, it happened. It may not have turned out well that time. You'd know how to do it better next time, but it happened. And big got put in. We had to have new motor mounts because this VET engine doesn't just fit anywhere. It straddles everything. I have a little SSR and it's got a 25 gallon gas tank. Does that tell you something about the mileage? They want you to go 100 miles or more, and so they have to put a 25-gallon tank on it. <laughs> Priuses. Well, never mind. Let's leave them alone. So God marked David and made him a man of no limits. So until you've been to the edge of something and been there a while, and exhausted everything that's in your head. I could do this and we could do that and we could call them and we could, you know, until you've been there and just waited it out and let the word work, you may not have big in you. That may be what's in a lot of folks. Are y'all here this morning? You go, well, no, nah, God doesn't work that way. He just puts the word in. Well, you got to try the word. You got to be tested by the word. And so... We are. God marked this man. And you know the story about David. I think he marked, he, he tried a lot of men. And they said, not me, not today. Goliath wants us. He can have us. It's not my responsibility. Did you hear me? I said, not my responsibility. But if you step up and make it your responsibility... Bless God. That's what I'm down here for. The worst thing that can happen is I die and go to heaven and shout the glory. That's the worst thing. And that's not going to happen. So let's get out and rumble. Let's get out there and tear it up. Let's go out there and whoop that ding dong, that devil. Let's just take him down as far as we can. And I'll learn some things, and the next time he comes, I'll take him down even more. We need to cast out a few devils here and there. I'm afraid of devils. No, you're not. They're afraid of us. So we're going to ask, I'm going to ask, just, just to stir us up. This is not information. I do not come to this pulpit with much information. I'm here to, to exhort you to love and good works. That's my job and to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's my job. So I stay in my lane. And we, like, like Pam was saying this morning, when they, when, when they start preaching hellfire and brimstone, you know there's, there's no exhorting to love and good works and there's no equipping of the saints in either of those. So you have to move on. Praise God. So are you born again? Are you God's child? Is he got your back? You got to know that. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I think he would. You need to go back to the cheese cart and bring some more bread and grapes to the brothers because you're not ready to go fight the, devil, the, the giant. That never left his life. The lion and the bear never left his life. And I've got some things in my life. Do you have some that have never left your life? And that when you come to the pitch, when you come to the corner, when you come to the edge, that kicks in and says... He, he delivered me from the lion. He delivered me from the bear. And this is no problem. 
You got to know what's under the hood, so to speak. Have you been in the garage and got some modifications? Tore that two barrel off and put a four barrel holly on. Put some manifolds on there. Put a, put a, what's the stick shift? A hearst, a hearst shift in it. Garland, you know what I'm talking about here. Hallelujah. We lusted after those things when we were in high school. And I do mean lust. It was pure, carnal, boy lust. A hearst shifter, my word. Hallelujah. So I looked up this word about jurisdiction. That word is always tumbling around in me, jurisdiction. It's when you, when you know what you're over. You know, uh, in the old movies, the, the bootleggers would run for the county line or the state line. Why is that? Because they couldn't cross the state line. They didn't have jurisdiction. So even though they, they could stop you on this side, if you crossed over, you, all they could do is radio ahead. And so they had no power over there and all power here. You might slow down if you're going down 69. You might slow down because there's a police car there. But then you pull up next to him and that says Coleman or, or Decatur. And you go. Because <laughs> he can't touch you. He can't get you. Now, we don't think that way, of course. We're law abiding. But I'm just saying it's along that same line. So it's uh, jurisdiction is to know the degree of your ability of authority. It's what you have authority and power over. And you go up to that line and don't go over it. And we all need to know, can you cast out devils? Well, in, in, in legal terms, you can, can't you? you? Okay, didn't get that very good. In legal terms, you can, can't you? Yeah, we can. But if you met one, if you got one that was in full mode manifestation, a meanie, you might shrink back the first time because you've never seen a lion or a bear with your little lamb. And so you might shrink back and say, whoa, let's reassess. Let's check in with headquarters. Let's make sure I have authority over that. But once you've cast one out and seen it leave and see the change, Devils are afraid of me. We don't want to get cocky with that. We don't want to get out of our league because you might have a Prius under the hood and you can drive off, but you won't ever get over 35 miles an hour and you might need something that'll go 100. The word uh, jurisdiction, it talks about our oversight, our responsibility and our authority over certain things. And you need to know it. Most Christians don't know what their jurisdiction is. What is the most Christians jurisdiction? I'm going to heaven. How do you know that? I don't know how I know that. I just know that. And so they say, I'm going to heaven. Well, what about life? No, no jurisdiction there. Well, what about sickness? God's in control. What about money? Well, he knows what's best. That's his jurisdiction. But the truth is, that's how he operated in the Old Testament. He had to because nobody was born again and no one then had jurisdiction. No one had jurisdiction. There was three groups of people that he could, he could kind of parlay that with, and that was prophets, priests, and kings. And he could put an ephod, a mantle on them, an anointing that signified, and it was kind of like a, a superpower that they had, Really. And they would have power. They, they could decree a thing and it would be established under them. But everybody else was just to the mercy of their culture. But that all changed. He finished the work. Did you hear me? That all changed. He completed the work. What was the work? He moved jurisdiction out of God and put it where he always wanted it. He gave us the model in Adam and put it in you. Oh, me. Little old me, poor little me, little Prius me. I don't even have the optional big four-cylinder, they would say. I, I, I got the little, the eco four-cylinder. Lean squirrels are running that one. Hallelujah. 
So this word oversight, responsibility and authority, that means jurisdiction. I looked it up and it's administration. So concerning things in life. You ever you ever opened up your computer and it said, are you an administrator? I'm always the administrator. Go as far as you can. Uh, it's assignment. You can't cross the county line or you can't cross the state line. It's your authority. It's your command. It's your control. It's your domination. If they catch you bootlegging on this side of the state line, they're going to do everything they can to intimidate you. They're going to take you all the way down. But if you get 40 feet across the state line, they won't do a thing. Theoretically, it's influence, it's power, it's sovereignty. Jurisdiction is sovereignty. I'm in control. I don't even like to sing songs that says God's in control. It's God's got the victory. That doesn't mean anything to me. Doesn't mean anything to you. It just means he's 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 God. But every God in their cultures. But I've got the victory. Now, that's saying something about him that he is so confident of himself he trusted me with his authority, his dominion, his jurisdiction. I wouldn't have, but he did. Y'all, he likes us better than we like us. The word means territory. So what is your territory? Do you have territory? Do you have jurisdiction over money? Do y'all have jurisdiction over money? Okay, let's do it again. Do you have jurisdiction over all funding and supply for your life? So you would do it. You wouldn't whine and cry to God. When are you going to send something? And he whispers you to you the finished work. Over there in Corinthians, Paul said, I, I besought the Lord three times that he would take this devil off of me, this thorn in the flesh. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. What? And then Paul said, oh, the very thing I've been entrusted to teach and to share is the very thing that I slipped up on. Have you all ever done that? Where we just said, what am I going to do? Jurisdiction never asks, what am I going to do? Jurisdiction says, I'm going to win at this. I'm going to win this. I will have to take on the fight. I will have to enter into the fray. I will have to smote the lion and smote the bear. I will have to grab it by the beard and pop it out. It doesn't say you're just going to show up and he's going to go, oh, it's you. I'm gone. You've got to test your jurisdiction. Do you believe? What do you believe? What, what's in you that will never fade or slip? That's who you are. It's not what you could be or you want to be or you think you are or what the word says you are. It's what you maintain in an emergency situation. That is who you are. Is that right? Because if you don't win all the time, you hadn't won. He'll just circle back around and get you. Uh, John 3. Let's go to John chapter 3. Would you do that? Let's see, I got a few minutes. Let's just keep this going. I don't want to have to get another Prius and Corvette analogy. That's, that's, that's my best one. So Luke 12, 48. Y'all know what that says? No, but I'll tell you. To whom much is given, of him much shall be required. Of whom much is given. That's a tremendously powerful principle that brings us all to the place of jurisdiction. If he's given you power over demons, it's required that you have power over demons. Oh, I thought it was an option. No. That's. He needs you to be in your jurisdiction. Your authority, your sovereignty, your zone, your dominion, your power. If he gave it to you, and we're finding out in the New Testament what he gave to us, then he doesn't say, option, option. 
You can put a Eco 4 in that Corvette. It's an option. Nope, no option. When you get a vet, first of all, there's just two doors. And uh, nowadays the engine's sitting next to you or behind you. It's not even like it's under the hood anymore. But you don't have an option of the Eco 4. It's a big bad boy or it's a bigger bad boy. And that's who you and I are. He put power in you before you needed power. He put big in you at the new birth when we didn't even know what big was. We didn't even know what big could do. We didn't even know what, why is this and, and are you sure it's under there? I, I've never looked under the hood. We've never looked under the hood. I mean, not never, but often. We don't look under the hood. We just assume it'll get me there. Where's there? Heaven. I'm preaching real good this morning. I may just keep on going here for a few minutes. Praise God. So, John 3, 6. John 3, 6, it says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Is flesh. It's only flesh, but it is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now you go, that's, that's obvious. Well, people don't even know the seed principle. That you put a corn seed in the ground, corn's coming up. You know they don't know that because they plant funny and weird. And... But anyway, marvel not that I said unto thee. Okay, say it with me in the King James. Ye must be born again. Okay, let's do it first person. I must be born again. You want to know what the unpardonable sin is? It's not lewd acts and it's not saying naughty words and it's not going off and worshiping a devil. The unpardonable sin is to not be born again. There's no option. If you're not born again, you're going to hell. It's not that you're going to hell. That's really not how it works. You just can't go to heaven. And so the option, the only option, the, the default is you got to go to hell. He really does not send us to hell. You just can't go in heaven. So, uh, get this. We are commanded to be born again. I am commanded to be born again. We do not invite people to be born again. The Lord does not invite anybody to be born again. Option. No, no option. There's no option. You are born of the flesh, but to be born of the spirit, you got to be born of the spirit. To be spirit, you got to be born of the spirit. So there's, are y'all getting this? There's no option to the new birth. Ye must be born again. He commanded it. There's a verse in 2 Peter. Let's, let's see if we can hold our place there. Hold your finger there. Well, now let me just read it again. I'll just read it in the, uh, while I'm right there. The Amplified says, marvel not. <laughs> Do not be surprised or astonished at my telling you, you must all be, be born again anew. Born anew from above. You must be. You must be. If you're not, you're damned. We need to be maybe amping it up a little bit when we share with other people. Well, if I just tell them they have to, they're going to run. Well, hello. That's what they're doing in wholesale lots. In uh, 2 Peter, I'll read it to you, or you can turn there, 2 Peter. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this, it says, by the heavens, by the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store. Let me see if I'm in the right verse here. Yes. Uh, verse eight. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. That's context. But verse nine says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. You know, it's funny he had to say that. I am the Lord that keeps my word. He had to say, I, I keep my word. As some men count slackness, but is long suffering to, to usward, 
Here it is, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's not willing. He'll do anything and everything to get your friends and your family born again. If you'll show up with the word and command them, the word says you need to get born again. God's reserved a life of wonderful for you. He's going to, he'll give you jurisdiction over the troubles of your life, over your money, over your body, over your family. He'll give you jurisdiction over those troubles and you'll live an abundant life. You must be, but you must be born again. And that means to make Jesus the Lord and the master, the master of your life. Not just came into my heart. So, I'm going to say this and then I'm probably going to quit. I've been very concerned about the body of Christ and their thinking, their surmising of how the kingdom works. And I realized this other day that most people believe that God is grading on a gradient. A gradient is something when like 50 shades of green or 50 different you get into a color wheel and it gets darker and darker and that everybody thinks that everybody is on a gradient that we are, we're either that all people are committed, uh, excuse me, created good. That we're, first of all, they say we're all the children of God and that's wrong. And they were all made in his likeness. That's wrong too. We are, we, we all have the same body, but after that, it's not the same. Um, that all men are created inherently good. And so you have people that are living their life trying to stay on the high side of the line, the line that is good enough. So they, they, they look at their lives as being not as bad as some, but could be better. Do you all know those people? We've all been there. We've all been there. Like I could do better. Yes, you could. Well, I, you know, I had someone that's been born again since he was eight and he's 92. I had him tell me one time. Uh, no, it wasn't him. It was the other one that said, I hope I've done enough. That's what it was. I hope I've done enough. Been born again since he was eight years old. Been in a Baptist church all his life, except for the 10 years he was with me. I hope I've done enough. I don't want to disparage him. I'm just saying it, that's, a, that's an example of someone that had no way to think like he thinks, but he did. So that means it's the default for everybody, that we're all on a gradient, and so nobody's really bad. And so if you get in there and you talk mercy and grace to the Lord, you can probably get one foot over, and he's not going to let the other foot stay back there in hell, and so it, we all go in. And it's not that way at all. I, the word doesn't teach that. In, in John, let's see, where am I? John 8. I hate to send y'all back. I'll go there, though. John 8. Please bear with me. I am going somewhere with this. You go, we know this. We're close enough. You do, and I know that. But you need to be able to explain it to somebody and pull them out of the abyss because they're, they're going to hell with this wrong thinking and you need to know how it really is. In John 8, 43. Okay. Why do you not, verse 43, the Lord Jesus, why do you not understand my speech? He answers it and says, even because you cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your fathers ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Did you all see that no? No truth. Not a gradient. There is no truth in him. And then he said, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. The Amplified says this. Why do you understand? Why do you misunderstand what I say? It is because you're unable to hear what I'm saying. 
You cannot bear to listen to my message. Your ears, your ears are shut to my teaching. You are of your father, the devil, and it is your will to practice the lusts and gratify the desires which are characteristic of your father. It's hard to find the gradient in that, isn't it? He was a murderer from the beginning. You are of your father, the devil. He was a murderer. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Okay, we could do a little, we could do a little example, but there's windows in this room. But we could go over there and turn all the lights off. And you say, yeah, buddy, it's dark in here. And you wouldn't say, you know, he, he's got one switch halfway down. That's not the way in America, that's not the way the switch work. It's on or it's off. It's all on or it's all off. It's as much light as it's capable of, of shedding, it's all on. But there's no gradient. I know there's dimmable lights, but we're not talking about that. Those are of the devil. Those are the Antichrist lights. <laughs> when he speaks a falsehood, he speaks what is natural to him. For he is a liar himself and the father of lies and of all that is false. So the devil is as dark as the ace of spades, if you could use that term. He is total darkness. He is totally without light. He never has blessed anybody. If he ever seemed to bless somebody, he was setting them up. It's called a hustle. He's setting them up so he can trick them to commit to something, trap them, and then take them out. Take them out, kill them, and drag them off. And that's all he can do. He, is, he has no ability like a fish that cannot breathe air. It has to be in water. He can't do anything else. And then he said, you are of your father and what he is is what you are. No gradient. So the sinner, the man that, woman that's not born again is not a good person. Now, in their soul, they are probably some of them more moral and ethical than Christians. Why is that? Well, it's not because there's goodness in them. It's because they fear the penalty of the broken law. They don't want to go to jail. So they don't speed or they adjust the radar detector or whatever, whatever they do. It's not because they say this isn't righteous. Let's slow down. They don't not kill people because they're good. It's because they fear the police. They fear the law. And if you relax the law, what happens, America? What happens when you defund the police? And what happens when you have no bail? What happens? Well, people will just do the right thing. They live to the level or the edge of whatever line that you've reset. And that's where they live because they're of the devil and what he is and what he does is what they are and what they do. There is no gradient. Amen. And anything good they do, it's to benefit themselves down the road. It's, it's, it's always, it cannot be anything but self. They even have friends and send presents and do Christmas and all that because it does something to come back to them. And that's who you were. That's who I was. That's who we were before we got born again. So it's not a gradient. You don't, you don't have people that are sort of born again. It's not a thing where the Lord sends out uh, like a bonus or something package at Christmas in an office where they send out bonuses. And you, you are a good boy, so we're going to give you a grand. And you are a good boy, so we're going to send you two grand. It's not like that at all. You're either of your father, the devil, or you're born again. And there is no room in between. And there's no there's no backy forthy. There's no like, well, I, I was born again, but then I, I messed up. No, it's it's you're either of your father, the devil, and you're totally in that mode. That's who you are. Or you're totally of the Lord God, even though you 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 steal and you lie and you tell naughty jokes and just like the sinner. But yet your nature is inside it. 
there's something that's different because the nature is different, even though the soul is not renewed to the word of God. And you're coarse and mean and revert to your old stuff. And I've been a Christian 60 years and I find that stuff popping up in me. Do y'all, do y'all ever have anything that pops up that says, let's do that. And then you check yourself or not. And suddenly you're doing something that's contrary to the nature that's in. Even though you knew better or you didn't know better, but then you figured it's contrary to the nature. Whereas that if that's your nature to be of the devil, you have no remorse. You're just got away with that. Wonder what else I can do. And we need to know this church. We need to know the father of the devil and the sinner, their their attitude and who they are. Uh, this is the hardest thing. I went into the jail a few times and I found this to be very hard because everybody in jail, I guess everybody has this gradient thing. And so I told this story about righteousness and I've told it to you, but I'll tell it again here just for a moment that what, what, if, if you have a man on death row and they all related to that, if you have a man on death row and it's his day to go. And so they send a minister in there, a priest or whatever, and he gets born again. But he's a, he's a serial killer. And, and did it without remorse and just, I mean, he did the works of the devil. But he got born again. And so in an hour and a half, they walk him down there and pop, pop him. And he runs off to eternity. But he's born again. But his history is just of the devil. And then you got that grandmother that just was raised in a church that never talked. And there are several churches, I can name them for you, that do not talk about the new birth. They have a social agenda and their whole thing is, is to do right. Do right. So you get that gradient real big in those churches to do right. Bless other people. Don't hurt anybody. Be social. Uh, uh, Red Cross. Do, do, do things. Well, if, if she was in that church and always helped with the bake sale and always went into the nursery, but she wasn't born again, it was never presented to her. And I'll tell you all about the, the girl that I, she cut my hair. She was in this church. And I asked her and she was not born again. It'd been there. And she got saved that day. Praise God. But say this grandmother didn't ever get saved and she was in church all the time and then she dies. What happens? It's not like God puts you up like they do. We used to watch these smuggling shows that shows blindness, shows Bolivia and everything of people trying to get drugs through, through their country. And they would they'd do a scan on them, you know, and what's that? Uh, appendicitis. <laughs> You know, and they, they, it's not like that. You're either born again or you're a sinner. You're totally born again, light switch up, or you're poor, totally a sinner, light switch down. Why is that important? Because we let people go to hell because they're not mean, mad, crazy. That's Uncle Jack. He, he always gives the best birthday presents. Aunt Nelda, she would never give you nothing, but Uncle Jack intervenes and you get a pocket knife, a red rider rifle, you, you know, slingshot, you get good stuff. Therefore, and it's what follows the comma after therefore that you have to say, what does that mean? Now you can know if people are born again because you're spiritually alive inside. But when people go into the afterlife, it's not like they go into this, that's where I was going with this, body scan thing. It's not like they scan them to see if they're good enough. You're either bright light or you're the ace of spades. You're totally dark. You're either. It's not a thing that says, well, let's let's look into their history. It's not that. Now, that will come in the rewards of going to heaven. You will be you will be assessed. And not just for what you did, but the motive that you did it with. And we've done lots more than we think. We have done a few bad things that we 
we fail to repent of. I would repent of them. If you thought of them, I'd just repent them and get them off the table so they never roll into that big video thing that we talk about. But that's how it works. So it's not like they're good. They're good. I'll vouch for them. My family vouched for some of their family. I said, is Uncle Doodly Doo, is he born again? I'm sure he is. Good man, good man. Well, how about his brother? He, he was a, well, I can't say it on tape, but I, anyway, he, he did bad things. Well, he, you know, he was raised that way and he, he didn't have a chance and, and he, his mother did this and his dad wasn't that. Therefore, and then it, they start on a spiel. Lights on, lights off. Society, and I'll quit with this, I really will. Society helps us, but in another way it hurts us. If you get into a prison where nobody's born again, it is hell on earth. The, the environment, the culture that, there's no stopping it. But if you have society like we have here in the Bible bet, Belt, in Alabama, in Tuscaloosa, people can, can think... Well, they'll act better than they will in the prison. Have y'all ever watched, seen, uh, read the book, uh, 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 The Flies? Uh, Lord of the Flies. It, it's a breakdown of society till everybody becomes what they really are. Because all the culture comes off. And you'll kill for a piece of meat. Whereas before you would say, would you pass the potatoes, please? And so that's what it is. Culture. So it's the Holy Ghost inside of you and I. Listen, listen. It's the Holy Ghost that's inside of you and I that affects these people. So when we get around the lost, they know who you are. Right, right. They know who you are and you know who they are. Because that's our job. That's our jurisdiction. My jurisdiction is to get people born again and, and to get them healed. And to get them encouraged and help them work out. We are problem solvers. That's what we do. That's who we are and that's what we do. But we know when people are not saved, even though they're living an exemplary life. They're going to hell. They're not going to half hell. They're not going to purgatory where, you know, okay, everybody that's got number six, number six is up. Your uncle's praying for you and he has thrown some money at the priest and you're likely going to get out of here. Ah, but the priest kept the money. Nope. You go to the back of the line. It's not that way. It happens in an instant. In an instant, it happens when we leave the earth what our destination is. It, it's not a court thing. We always joke about it at St. Peter, and maybe we shouldn't, but that's not how it is. Aren't you glad you're saved? Aren't you glad we're born again? Don't, aren't you glad that, that somebody prayed the price for you to get the good word that you must be born again? And you said yes, despite what you knew. This preacher did this and that elder did this and this deacon and Christians are a sorry lot and all that stuff. You had all that working in you. And nevertheless, you you yielded to the love of God because you're you were condemned in your trespasses and sins and you wanted relief. You wanted more and you distrusted somebody almost everybody gets born again except in a crusade in remote areas almost everybody in america gets born again by relationship somebody brought them to church or led them the perfect model let me just tell you this and we'll go but the perfect model is this it's not to be coming to church to get born again that's not how it works. That's, that's how it works, but that's not how it's supposed to work. We're supposed to be equipped for the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ. We're supposed to be in the highways and hedges getting people born again. And then we say to them, come to church with me and you'll get discipled. You'll get, you'll find your place. You'll get the gifts of the Holy Ghost to come on you. You'll it's not like we come to every church service and we have to hear about the new birth. And the rest of us are dying on the vine because we got saved last year. You're the preacher. 
You're the minister. You're the one that goes one on one. So we'll never grow if we just talk about the new birth in church when everybody in there that could minister it is sitting right there. So it's your job, my job, to get my neighbor born again and then say, let's go to church. You'll, you'll learn about your jurisdiction. And it'll be better. Amen. Isn't Jesus wonderful? I'm telling you, we just got it made in the shade. We don't have any troubles. Remember that. And the last thing I'm going to say, and it's just this, whatever you talk about gets bigger. So talk healing. Because it'll get bigger. If you talk the trouble, the trouble will get bigger. Yeah. I ain't got any money. That just got bigger. Because you believe you. You believe you. You might not believe me, but you believe you better than anybody. And if you say we ain't got any money, times are hard. This is our, we're in the COVID, we're in the troubles and jobs are this and the economy's that and inflation's everywhere. Then you are stuck. You got troubles. That's a friendly announcement from our sponsor, <laughs> Jesus. Well, let's stand up. Let's sing a song together. That's what we want to do.